0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Loopcast. I'm Chelsea Damon, and today we have a new guest on the show. He's not been on before, but hopefully he will be a returning guest. And we have Tam Hussein, who is going to be talking about His new book called The Darkness Inside, I just finished it this past weekend, and it was really, really interesting because A, I will say it wasn't what I was expecting, which I really, really actually appreciate in a book, because it takes you in a different direction than you might have originally thought when reading the cover or the back of the the book. Um, So I'm very excited to sort of talk about the book, but also the background and how it came about. So first of all, welcome to the Loopcast, Tam.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and a delight to uh, speak to you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And for those who may not know of Tam's work, he is an award-winning journalist and he does investigative journalism. And he has written on jihadist networks, foreign fighters, criminal networks and trafficking is also the associate editor at New Lines Magazine, and he also has another fantastic book uh, called To the Mountains, which I have also read, completely different than The Darkness Inside, which is fiction, but I also recommend if you're interested in foreign fighters and jihadists, To the Mountains is really an interesting and great read and a lot to learn from that, which Tam and I were discussing before recording. So why don't we start off with talking about um, how your background experience as an investigative journalist influenced the book especially having covered issues like foreign fighters and jihadists so
1: um when i when i thought about writing this book i was looking for a vehicle uh, to kind of uncover these stories of these jihadists and it presented me with really almost like a detective detective novel and um I should say here that my wife's Italian, so she's introduced me to uh, a detective story, uh, detective series called Montalbano, which is set in Sicily. And he, and it's this this character, he kind of b- behaves like Sherlock Holmes. He, you know, uncovers whatever crime is happening. Of course, I'm not a detective, so I thought, okay, let me use, you know, um, journalism as a means, as a vehicle of uncovering. Uh, uncovering this story. So for sure, a lot of the stuff that you read about, not necessarily the character, but kind of the practices of investigation using, for example, open source and so on, that is something that, you know, I, I, you know it's something that I've done myself in terms of uncovering, searching and so on. So uh, and, and pavement pounding. Mm. Um, so in that way, um, I kind of thought that, look, even for, even for journalists that start off, in some ways, it's quite authentic, uh, even though it's fiction. So in, in that way, I bring I bring that to the fore in the novel, if that makes sense.
0: That completely makes sense. And that was one of the things I found really interesting. It really was like a whodunit detective story. And, and I love those in general. So I love that genre. Um, but you've woven in so many details that if you have any inkling of jihadists, jihadists and, and foreign fighters, especially coming from the UK and the Syrian conflict, um, there's a lot of, of course, real life details that have been worked into the book. But first of all, what persuaded you to write a fiction novel since you are an investigative journalist and, and you've written other books that are not fiction? So what decided to take you down that rabbit hole? So,
1: I mean, there's, there's two things. I've always, since I was 19, I've always wanted to write fiction. In fact, I went to the Middle East too become a writer uh, i think i i think i lived according to the the way hemingway lived honestly anything hemingway do i would do that's that i genuinely used to live like that um, so when i was around 18 19 i met a uh, um, literary agent and she said look a lot of a lot of people write very well but they don't actually live so i took that quite seriously and i decided that i'm going to read everything that there is to read at the same time i'm going to live and that's what i did so I've I've always believed in fiction as a as a as a way of uncovering deeper and greater truths. Um, you studied ancient history. You know that you you know. I still, when I read the Iliad, when I read these, I, you know, to me, you know, there there's still some of the most powerful stories and truths that you can find in there. So that's that's one aspect of it. Um, and I've written uh, novellas and short stories, but particularly for this story there was actually a case of practicality because i had i have what, we, what the laws that we have in the uk and it might be slightly different is that a lot of the anti terror laws that were actually you know well meaning or well intended they decide that they were intended to prevent terrorism right unfortunately for many reasons that's bled into the fourth estate you know the, into the media as well So sometimes when the police didn't want to do the work or thought, okay, we need to find out how this person, how this journalist got those sources, they would give you a production order. This production order would effectively mean that we can't tell that story or we fall foul of um, terror laws, right? Uh, Anti-terror laws. We could be criminally liable which meant that what I I had initially wanted to do was to write an oral history of a lot of the foreign fighters that I had interviewed in Syria. But I couldn't do that because when I was publishers and said, listen, this is the story that I've got, they would be like, oh, this is great. This is a great story. And I said, okay, so should 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 I start? And they would say, look, um, uh, look, you do this, you do this, but you know, I'm not sure we can go because we need, we need good lawyers for this. Does that make sense? We, you, because the lawyers would have to fight off the police when they come with a, pro, uh, with a production order. And that would be the problem, yeah? So I thought, okay, why don't I use fiction as a vehicle to tell this story? So Montalbano, Henrik Ibsen, the great playwright, I use these two almost as a plot, uh, uh, in terms of uh, as a plot to tell that story of something that is in my view very true and very real. I hope that makes sense.
0: That makes complete sense and it also I see that reflected within the story that you tell in the darkness inside which I really want to get to a little bit later in the in our discussion. But why don't you give our listeners and of course just a teaser because you know I really would love people to actually pick up the book and read it but why don't you provide them with a bit of a synopsis of the book and its characters like who's who and sort of a teaser i guess so so the story
1: is initially or on the face of it it starts off with sid or said who um who's a journalist at a at a at a um on an online news news site and initially he you know he's very, very ambitious and he wants to uh, really go after the mayor of London um, if anyone's from London they know that the you know there's a knife epidemic currently I work with kids that are actually involved with that currently so I know I know that world very very well um, so I thought you know he initially thinks okay there's a there's been a stabbing in Croydon in South London and he goes to use that story to go after the mayor you know really ask the question you know what is the mayor doing about it um and as he uncovers this, what seems like an what seems like an everyday killing, stabbing, he begins to realize that this this has got nothing to do with an ordinary stab. And actually, as he starts digging as a journalist, he realizes that okay, this 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 stabbing goes back all the way to Syria. Um, and it turns out that as he gets closer to the truth, and you know, of course, he himself breaks nearly every single rule book in uh, as a journalist. Um, gets himself seriously injured and his editor Martha uh, in Italian she then takes his story story on board to actually go back into go back into the story of Anis who had fought in Syria and that that stabbing is actually related to a problem or a conflict that had begun or started in Syria and so that's really kind of the um it goes back and it, it goes in flashback to tell you that story of this person's journey all the way to its um to, to the finale basically so that's that's it you know i'm not very good at summing things up but that's really the story of of um of the darkness inside
0: that sounds like a good summarization to me um so also one of the things I was really interested in as, as a researcher, of course, and, and this is more for the listeners, but um, as a writer, have you woven in actual events that took place in the Syrian conflict within the book, or are the events purely fictional, but sort of represent things that we did see on the ground um, during the conflict, which of
1: so can use? Yeah, so with the regard of course with regard to the journalism, that's a different, that's a different, that's essentially fictional. But when you're looking at kind of the events that transpired in we go we're, we're in Libya, we go to places like Pakistan, we go to places like um uh, Syria, these are all based on oral accounts um of fighters that were there. Um and yeah so the the they're very i mean of course they were aspects were fictionalized for plot, but i would say eighty five per cent of those stories are very real or very true you know I try to keep- I, I that that's that in a way it was to because of because of these anti terrorism and, and and I mentioned this kind of there is there is a scene in the book whereby whereby uh, one of the jihadists goes to see the doctor and the doctor kind of probes and he doesn't, he's not forthcoming. And the reason he's not forthcoming is because there are certain laws that would make the doctor obliged to reveal the fact that he's been, let's say, to Syria and so on, to the law, if that makes sense. So what we're, what we're faced with at this moment in time in the UK is that there is a whole oral history that may actually vanish because they want, they, no one wants to talk about it because they might fall foul of the law. So in a way, what I've tried to do there is actually give you a, um, a, re- a faithful rendering, if you will, of events that, that occurred in the early days of the uh, uprising. So some of the politics that you saw, for sure that happened, the fight for the hospital, that was told to me by someone who was, of course, um, who saw that, who witnessed that, um, and so on the what you when you saw the uh, there is another scene where there is a you know there is a killing um that was also told to me so all a lot of these things were told to me um from from men who are who are here or have now passed away
0: and that sort of pulls into some of the things you've just said sort of pulls into the greater social issues that the book tackles because it is this mystery and sort of a detective story, and also has the elements of Syria and, and returnees and so forth. But within the book, you tackle so many different social issues as well from politics to counterterrorism laws and methods. And you know, do they really work? Are they actually producing? positive or negative effects and also just social issues within the culture in in the UK um, and so i wanted to talk about that a bit because you you wove it in so well and um it was very obvious that the book was tackling many other things than just the story that you know the main story that was being told
1: yeah i mean i i think that with some of these stories you sometimes wonder you know are you culpable you know um i don't i don't it, it, there is a tendency for the for a lot of journalists many of us um and i tr- i try not to do that you know be that activist or take the moral high ground because i just don't, i i just don't think that we deserve it i think we as journalists especially for example you've seen you know the way the way um there's been such an undermining of the of the media you know not just by, you know, this fake fake news stuff, but also I think that we as journalists, we've failed sometimes in doing our job, you know, um, to convey that, we convey a lot of those ethics and the values that we're meant to do. Um, and I think that that was um, something that we had, I wanted to really uh, bring to the fore, you know, how, you know, that's why I call it Darkness Inside, because I think all of, every single person there had some sort of darkness. You know, uh every single one and no one was uh no one was clean, comes out clean from that, you know, and it's not just jihadists.
0: And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that was a, a later question I had for you is reading at first you have people that seem in the typical genre like the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then as the book goes on, these characters you know, their stories are woven and un- unveiling more information. And really at the end, I sat there and I really grappled to say, did I have a character that I really felt like I liked? Which, yes. Yeah, yes. because That's everyone true. had this dark, this dark side to it, which I thought was really great because in life, I think everyone does to some extent have, you know, at different levels, a dark part of themselves. And And in this book, You know, some of the characters have very dark sides, of course, but I really found that very interesting because it wasn't the typical trope of, you know, you have the good guy. That's the hero. (laughs) So I think, you know, you said that
1: word and it just made me so happy because that was exactly the note that I wanted to leave you with, like really make you feel uncomfortable. Almost like, do I like Sid? You know, isn't Sid just as much a psychopath, you know? as many of these guys, and, and so on. Martha, is she complicit, is she not complicit, you know, and, and so on, you know, there's all of these questions I've wanted to just raise. Who, who's the good guy there? Who comes out clean? And I don't think that in life, you know, we, you know, none of us come out clean. And I think being aware of that means that we can understand choices that people make, you know, without coming down too harshly on them, you know? Uh, and I think that helps because it makes us un- it makes us understand um, where people come from, and that that can make us much more empathic, be- you know, better towards each other, and so on. You know, uh, there aren't necessarily clean answers or good answers. You know, sometimes it, it's a choice between two bad choices. You know, and so on. And I think that was the whole point of this book
0: and and you did that so well and and the thing that i found really interesting is that of course some of the characters are people that were in syria did horrible atrocities yeah. to people and you sit there and you could think okay these are the people i'm really not going to want to relate with i'm i'm not going to you know feel anything for them other yeah. than contempt but then you have other characters that have not done say violent acts in in that sense but You still, you still have contempt for them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it was, it was really good. It was very psychologically like twisting. I guess that's the best way of putting it.
1: Yeah, that that was that was honestly that was kind of the thing that I wanted wanted to do, and I think that came from my own experience. I remember going to many uh, a while back. uh, I think a few years back, I went to an award ceremony, you know, of journalists, and everyone, you know, were very you know, they they were very, very self congratulatory, which is fine. You know, you know they, it's their night. But then, you know, as I was, as I as as I was leaving um, to go to another another place with some of my colleagues, I came across. You know, I was approached by a pimp, and uh, this pimp, what, what you know, I was quite upset because you know, I'm married. I don't. I rarely go out usually. You know, with kids and stuff like that, you don't go out. And on on the day you decide to go out you get approached by this pimp who offers you prostitutes. And you're like, what, man, you know, what, what did you see in me? You know, I was always, I was almost offended. So I said to me, what what is this man? know, it really played on my mind. Right. Um, And so I couldn't enjoy that evening at all. And as I I left, I came across him again and he smiled at me and said, Oh, you know, you, you, you've changed your mind. Haven't you? Uh, You know, I said, no, I'm, I'm married. And he says to me, um, man doesn't live on bread alone. I thought, wow, that's crazy. This is a who Quotes Bible to me. You know, that's really crazy. And then I said to him, well, you know, I I can't do this, man. And uh, I can't do this. Sorry, man. I goes, why not? Because I said, I said, you know, because I've got an oath. Uh, and he said, oh, who's go- who do you have an oath again with? Because I've got an oath with, with my maker, with God. And he just backed off. And I'm like, hang on, man. Am I standing in front of a man who's got some, some semblance of morality, you know, like it, it was ostensibly he's meant to be this, you know, this scumbag, right? But actually, you know, he st- stood back kind of respecting the sacred. So I said, why are you, you know, you're clearly a very, very bad pimp. Why are you doing this, man? Why are you doing this? This is bad, you know, like, like this. And he said to me, well, you know, I'm only doing this because, because I've got family to feed, but I've got a mum who's sick and so on and so forth. So it kind of highlighted to me that, wow, you know, like, sometimes, you know, you can find, you know, golden carp in muddy waters, you know, like, you can really, it struck me that sometimes you can find someone that would be ostensibly, you know, kind of the scum of the earth, actually, a man who hates doing something, and he does because of his circumstances or whatever. Um, And I think that's that we 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 in the media we sometimes forget that we're easy it's very easy to condemn you know where where a lot of these people come from or that we cover without actually looking at their circumstances without of course not 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 denying um not denying of course the victims because there are victims you know this this person um you know, he was a pimp and there, was a, there were women that were abused and suffered and so on and so forth. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, looking at all of those aspects, it just highlighted to me that we can congratulate ourselves for winning these prizes at the same time. It's easier to be good when you are well off, when you have all the, all the trappings of a good life. It's much, much harder to be good when you don't have those things, you know. Um, and I remember reading this a, a Russian author, uh, I think it was in, in the Brothers Karamazov, um, where he he depicts a character who he said he's only good because society tells him society, you know, kind of tells him to be law abiding. But if those rules were removed, he would have probably been a very very evil man, you know, and 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 that's the point, you know, uh, our circumstance, and and that's why you know when war and all of these things things break out and you manage to be good in those situations that's quite an incredible achievement i i feel you know where where in the most beastly circumstances because i've seen this you know when you see men they change when they have a gun suddenly the butcher becomes the greatest warrior there is and he'll you know strut around the way he is with this kalashnikov because he knows he can kill you you know Suddenly he's a lion and so on and so forth. If if he can be a decent human being in those times, that's quite an incredible achievement, I think. You know, I'm I'm, ran, uh, I'm rambling, but anyway, that's my yeah. reflection on it.
0: It's great. I mean, the loop cast we like when our guests sort of really dive deeply into their thoughts or topics so that's what we're here for (laughs) and I actually kind of found that with the character of Sammy where even though he was involved in the conflict to some extent I mean you know we have to have that disclaimer but he wasn't as brutal as some of the other characters and and even though you know he was involved in things that yeah people in their life would be abhorred at but still that was it was really interesting the characters I think were done very very well so kudos as as a reader to the author because they were very complex yet in some ways simple but complex and I don't know if that makes sense but yeah at first they're very like like the way you describe them and you present them at first everyone is very simple and you sort of as a reader know where they should fit in your mind yeah And then as the story goes on, they become much more complex. And that's when you start having different feelings that come up about a character that you might at first be slightly surprised about. (laughs) At least I was. I was like, oh, I really am not liking this person anymore very much.
1: Yeah, that's that's all honestly, that's all credit to Henrik Ibsen. I don't know if you if you read Henrik Ibsen. He's a great, great playwright. You know, he makes the mundane. He brings out sometimes, you know, shows you how we human beings can be so Monstrous in our mundane light daily lives, you know um sometimes I don't know if you've read you will know, get some guys they'll um they'll condemn all the tyranny you know on the t v such and such dictator this this, that, and everything else is going on, but then he'll be like a tyrant at home, you know um he'll be a dictator at home just as much, and he'll be a tyrant, and if he had an opportunity and if he was in that situation, maybe he'll be the same person same 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 you know, same tyrant. You know, just that he he's just not in those circumstances. And I think Henry Gibson managed to managed to show that wonderfully. You know, just with the mundane, you know, mundane daily lives, and that's why I find him so profound. You know, as a as a, as a playwright, I definitely recommend any you guys to read it because I find him you know, amazing as a playwright.
0: So I want to touch back on something that you said earlier in the discussion about. Sort of the situation in the UK and and oral history is disappearing, especially when it is involved with the, the conflict in Syria and Iraq. And I mean, it sort of in some senses goes to your other book, to the mountains, which is, you know, a story of Abdullah Anas and his his um, life in jihad and Algeria, Afghanistan, and so forth. And I mean, to me, as a person and a researcher as well, Those oral histories are so important in many ways, not just for understanding a movement or a personal journey into a certain situation, but I mean, in some senses, you learn so much from the personal accounts also to maybe help certain circumstances not repeating themselves. So I kind of wanted to talk to you about that because I do find that very tragic because hiding things that have happened will only enhance an issue or a problem in my mind.
1: I I so agree with that. Um and I think that's that's the I mean I hope I hope to god that we will rethink some of these laws because I think it's actually good for our society. I don't know I don't know what the situation is in the states but I can at least say about with British society we need to come up with a balance wherein we it doesn't mean that we write people off scot free or any of this. You know, accountability is very, very important. But if you know, you know, these—I'd say that this this began in the nineties. Um, you know, the, the, this whole movement, the Salafi-jihadi movement that we're seeing in these foreign fights, began in the nineties, and in a way, it comes to came to full fruition, kind of with with, with Syria. And God knows where it's going to go next. Um, one hopes it fizzles out, um, but there, there is an aspect one of the reasons we've not been able to do that is two things there 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 is a, a bit of revisionism from the first generation you know if, you know in the sense that you know they they, they they are saying that it wasn't you know ISIS or what happened in syria isn't it isn't anything how we conceived it right, which i don't necessarily agree with as a as a position and then on the other hand what we're what we what we're not seeing is kind of we're not hearing the stories and the experiences of you know we we had thousands of foreign fighters from europe um going and we need to get those stories down as as you know as a history as part of the history of Europe you know um as part of the as part of understanding conflict um and we can apply these rules to um many conflicts you know not necessarily as a as a as a model but to look at certain aspects you know i looked so when ukraine for example happened i looked at some of you know i looked at some of these issues i thought hang on hang on a second you know we're seeing when when the ukrainians they call for men to fight i'm like okay no 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 this may not necessarily be a good thing let's let's hold you know let's let's stop there for a second because you know, we had Liz Trust, the the current prime minister saying, Oh, you know, we wouldn't have an issue if we all went. Well, hang on a second, what does this mean? What are the consequences of that? You know, when young men who aren't trained and so on then go in and come back, what does this all mean? Have we thought this through? This is one thing that we can that I've learned from Syria, you know. So though because we can't get these accounts down, and I think that they're important, we we can't learn from it. You know, uh, and many of these, I mean, even if, if it's a case of debriefing, um, debriefing uh, some of these people, it's still important. I mean, just think about, I was reading, um, I don't know if you read uh, Nine Lives, for instance, Paul Cruikshank's book, uh, Paul, Paul Cruikshank and Eamon, Eamon Dean's book. Um, but, you know, the, the, the amount, the testimony that Eamon gives, you know, it's really, really important to understand how that world was like yes it's coming from the perspective of a spy right but we don't necessarily have the other side and we need the other side too because it doesn't inform us you know it it, it, we need to be informed fully about what is going on because it it means we can deal with policies we can deal with issues much much better that's important i think you know
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And and as a researcher that has looked at foreign fighters and done research on them, I really found the way governments responded to, say, individuals that went to go fight in Syria and Iraq versus individuals that went and fought in Ukraine. And also the debate which we have here about individuals that went to fight against, say, ISIS. And everyone has dealt with in very different ways, which I do understand the reasoning um
1: absolutely i mean uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So I, i'm just making that disclaimer but yeah it also is interesting because some of the things that were brought up about like you said um these people are going whether it's syria or ukraine they're still going they're still learning tactical maneuvers they're still learning much more about how to use weapons in a conflict zone and so forth and i remember those discussions about say foreign fighters that have gone to syria and that was a big security risk in in the in the discussion. But yet, when they're talking about foreign fighters going to Ukraine, that was less of an issue to them. But I'm like, I mean, it's the same skills. <laughs> it's just maybe yeah, I mean, ideologies, maybe you know. So it, it's it's interesting how.
1: I mean, the, I I, I, I mean, changes. I I think that we just have to make it explicitly clear i mean there is a massive difference between let's say you joining isis and let's say even you know the Kur- kurdish forces because you know there's yes. one one that declares war against you know your your country and the others don't i even even going to ukraine i appreciate that but what we what we don't take into account is the immense power that, you know the, the way war ingra- you know ingrains itself into your soul Very true. Yeah, you know that's what it does to you as a human, as a young man or a young woman. And when you go over there, um, um, what does it mean? Also, when you flood, you know, when you when you flood, you know, they've spent a long period of time in war. There's no, you know, usually you have tours of duty in normal armies. Why do you have that? Because people, you know, these men don't or men and women they don't they don't become um you Know they don't become killers, they're they're allowed to be kind of civilians at some point, to be live normal lives, to see to be with the children. So there is a there is a semblance of this is what normal is, right? And you don't have that chance. What happens when you flood a conflict with loads of we- weapons? I mean, um, I've just written an essay on um on Belgian jihadists and new lines, and 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 there, what's very interesting is. A lot of the, um, a lot of the weapons that was obtained in the Bosnian War. So, for example, if we look at the Charlie Hebdo attackers, the weapons that they bought was the weapons from Bosnia, from the Bosnian conflict. You know, so are we going to now see? I mean, I can just see one of those. You know, those um, those uh, uh, missiles, the portable missile man pads. That you're getting in the, getting in Ukraine, I can just see uh, one of these groups getting the ha- getting hold of one of those things and firing that that at an American embassy or a British embassy or something like that. I mean, it's you know you could get a lot of money from it. You could sell it. You could move that you know across the borders. Why can you do that? You know, it's it, it, it for me always being obsessed with security. I started thinking, oh my god, these, these, these are the ways that we can see this playing out. And I'm not so sure I want to see that, you know, because it's too close to home. Maybe not, not to the States, but too close to home to, for, for us. You know, so we so whatever I'm, I'm not saying, you know, it's right or wrong to go over. But we need to think about these implications. Right. Um, for armies, you, you, you know, if they if they suffer from PTSD and all of the, there is some you'd like to think there is a there is some sort of help available for them. Is that help going to be available for those people that come back from Ukraine? I don't know. But these are valid questions that we should look at um, and so on, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I've actually said that looking at accounts of foreign fighters, especially individuals that have gone from conflict to conflict and just sort of stayed within the conflict. And of course, these are uh, Salafi jihadists, but a lot of them have very similar responses and very similar symptoms of ptsd that we see in veterans because like you were saying they are in these theaters of conflict for so long and and some of them cannot actually go back to civilian life because it's not normal to them anymore and i mean like exactly. what exactly say for the human experience really
1: it's like that film uh, the hurt locker i i, I yes. just thought to myself, it's so it's so true you know and you know whether you're a Salafi jihadist, or you're a you know soldier, you're still a human being, and, and the impact of war on your soul is gonna be the same, you know, or or it's gonna be, you know, you're you're gonna re- respond to that. And I, I I remember that myself. I think to myself, what, what you know it's such an exciting, you know, you live so intensely in these environments that I've never matched it, you know, apart from you know, I think the nearest thing that comes to is combat sports. That's what matches it. You know, on a personal level, you know, and, and I, honestly, uh, and I hope you people, you know, one of the reasons I'm, I box and the reason I box, especially spa, and people think, oh, you know, you don't necessarily win. I don't really care about winning. It's just to re- recreate that buzz, you know, that that, that, I, that you get in those sort of places, you know, it's immensely exciting. It's not about killing. It's not, it's about everything is so intense. Right. Um you you value everything. And I, I I realized the closest thing, that's why um sparring is is the most exciting thing. I, you look forward to it. And I and I'm not sure that without it, I wouldn't necessarily itch to go to places like Ukraine to cover it. That's just my on a personal level. Other people are different, you know. But it keeps me sane in many ways, you know. And I, and if I don't spa every week, I will feel like, hang on, I'll, I'll be itchy because that's, you live intensely in those places, you know? And that's just me, you know?
0: Mm, but that makes complete sense. I think if you've been in any situation, especially for a prolonged period of time where you are in a highly intense life-threatening situation, life does move at a different pace and then you feel things completely differently and after going through an experience like that you do see nor i guess i'm putting normal in like air quotes but normal life is is you see things differently after that let me put it that way
1: of course absolutely you know you i remember coming back from one of these things and my wife was saying oh you know can you she was just snapping her fingers you know come on Can we wake up now? Almost. I'm like, you know, it's fine. We're not getting bombed. It's fine. You know, it's it's okay. You know, we're we're alive almost. So that's why you know, almost like that. Locker just made so much sense. I understood it, even though I've never I've never you know been in fought in a conflict. I understood that. I also understand why journalists go keep on going back to these places of conflict because it's so exciting. And how can you not? You know, how can you not go back? Yeah. Yeah. And that in itself is a drug. You know, war is a drug, as they say. That's mm-hmm. something that you have to be aware of, but you know.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. Um and on the book, once again, you know, going back to some of these issues, these greater issues that the book tackles, um, you know, there's a lot about sort of this never-ending debate on repatriation and of course security and how to deal with these returnees or actually not to deal with them as well. So I want to talk about that a bit because um, it's such a huge discussion here in the States and, and many other countries as well that have individuals that traveled to Syria. And of course, we've got the camps now and, and people that are just sort of in this no man's land. And, and a lot of the time it's uh, more women and children that tend to be repatriated if they are so I kind of wanted to talk about that a bit
1: I mean yeah I mean I think one thing that we in the west should not do and I I always say that you know we shouldn't compromise our principles because we've seen what we've seen what when we compromise our principles we don't become you know um, any better so if you look at for example I always say this you know when ISIS were bringing out the propaganda. The people that they were mob- modeling themselves against were actually the West. They weren't modeling themselves against China or Russia, you know. They were. It was. It was the West that was held up, you know. I suppose begrudgingly as a model to be followed, right? Um, so I just think to myself that you know uh, certain principles. I don't necessarily believe in stripping. Um, you know citizenship stripping I don't I, I think that's counterproductive um and that's no good I do appreciate however you know I don't at the same time don't want to remove agency from a lot of these you know women as well you know I because I think that's that's another catch-22 sometimes you know um there's this idea of I was groomed yet the, yet at the same time you chose to go there you know th- th- that kind of stuff so what is it is it agency or not not agent it strikes me as quite patronizing and how we deal with those issues too children should we should just take those children though you know that that's one thing i don't think we should really compromise too much or if they come back okay you could separate the, the parents from the children because clearly if you've taken your children to a war zone you're not a, you're not fit to be a parent you know you're not fit to be a parent to take your children to a war zone you know what, what kind of person does that you know but I do think that if we can deal with them legally, we, we save ourselves a lot of problems um, from problems from uh, it, that we set aside for the future because it, they do become places which uh, become a rallying, rallying cry for ISIS fighters or dis, you know uh, disgruntled people and so on and so forth. So I think that we should deal with it. Uh, but I have not, as of yet. Um, you know, fully, I, I don't necessarily look at every single person locked up in, let's say Hol camp or whatever as a victim or whatever, you know, I, I don't necessarily do that. I look at that, you know, each, each person should be dealt with on individual, um, individual case by case basis. I think the children, we should just take them away because they they shouldn't be there. That's not, you know, we're, we're creating, what are we creating? But, you know, um, but oaks, you know, what what are we, what are we creating if we if we're leaving our children those children there? That's just no good. We don't want that, you know. We 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 need to take those kids out. Um, as for the women, that's that the, the, if they are adults, that we should each case we should deal with, um, you know, separately on an individual basis. And of course, accept that you know some of them will you know will go through, you know, will because you know. That's the problem, I think. With uh, people say there is no evidence against them. That's the that's the whole point. There are there there isn't much evidence. It might mean that they are amongst us, you know. Uh, and that's that's a security nightmare that I appreciate for for a lot of a uh, uh, lot of the services who are who are who don't have all the resources, you know. I appreciate that. So it's it, I don't think there are clear answers to this, but I think definitely we need to keep to our principles, you know. That's one thing that we should do. We should not compromise on that.
0: Yeah, it is. It's such a difficult situation. So my Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I like how you said looking at each person on a case-to-case basis because, I mean, as I always tell people, the reason why people go is very individualized, like yeah. for first place. So it's really hard to just say, okay, all foreign fighters go because of this. Like, no, yeah, everyone yeah. has, I mean, there are some things that are common, but it's also a very much of an individualized case of, Why someone gets radicalized or goes to a conflict to fight? So
1: yeah, I mean, if you ended, I mean, I always think if you ended up, let's say, if you stayed to the last in Barhuze, let's say you were caught in Barhuze, there's a massive difference between you and someone who escaped, let's say, in 2013, because rules, If you were caught in rules, that indicates to me that you're one of the hardcore. You know, that that was the last stand of ISIS. Whereas if you try to escape with your children way way before well that you know th- these are different cases you know um and, th- and we should recognize those things but do we have the infrastructure for that we have to be aware of, you know we have to see that and what it, what is the payoff so so sometimes with some of these some of these cases um is the payoff that you that you let's say recognize uh turkish uh, kurdish national aspirations you know what does that mean you know so there's a lot of other things going on in the background um which we we also need to deal with um and i think that it really needs an international response to deal with this because i don't think it's going to get any better i think it's just going to get worse you know
0: so going back to the book as an author what was your experience writing this book? And I, I kind of wanted to ask you this to sort of wrap up the conversation. And also if you had any other thoughts of just your experience writing the book or the whole journey of the darkness inside.
1: I, um, I'm quite disciplined when it comes down to writing, um, actually. Um, I don't really, I, what I focus on always or try to focus on his plot first so i, I will and and cre- putting down a first draft that's the main thing i don't care about the writing being perfect any of those kind of things i will do that I, you know I, I try to just get us you know hew out a slab of rock that's in that's roughly in shape and then i'll then once i've got that out i'll sleep on it you know i'll leave that for a little while and then i'll start carving you know so my, in terms of my experience of writing the book, um, it's, it was a bit like to the mountains or anything like this. I just believe in consistency. You just make sure that you, you just do your work uh, daily. Um, and that, so it, in terms of it working within time, that, that was actually, it was an enjoyable, it was an enjoyable experience. Um, and usually I had, I had it mapped out as well. I usually map out how I'm going to write it. So it's not that I don't know, you know, that the story is going to take me in a different way. I kind of know I've already mapped it out. So when I'm starting to write, you know, I'll probably get a draft out of about 50,000 words. And then when I start redrafting, it will increase to 70 or or however many many words, uh, words it is. But I also, what I'll do with, with writing that experience, I will read books that are similar to that. You know, so I might read, you know, um, lo- loads of, let's say, with this, loads of techno novels. I might read about, you know, about journalism, uh, journalists and their work, and so on and so forth, just to inspire myself. And then, for me, anyway, there's just a voice that will say, oh, "This is how you're going to start this book off." And that's how it starts, and I begin, irrespective, you know. And it took me about two years from start to start to finish. But the material I collected over over a long time you
0: know well i thank you for sharing your process and and the time and everything like i said it's it's really an interesting book i recommend people read it and you will your mind will go in many different places that's all i'm going to say as a teaser but i want to thank you so much for coming on the show tam and yes it's been really delightful talking to you about the darkness inside and all the other issues that we tackled i felt like it was a very good in-depth conversation. <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm, I'm just privileged that you've had me on. So thank you for having me on the Loopcast. Thank you.
0: Thank you.